We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. to the Rotowire NBA podcast sponsored as always by DraftKings. It is Tuesday, March 6th. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. A uh, long list of topics on the agenda mm-hmm. for today, but first, this is maybe the most uh, relevant, like the most the highest number of relevant birthdays that we've ever had on one of these Tuesday episodes. Shaq's birthday is today, Marcus Smart, Josh Hart, Dwight Bikes, who's seen minutes in Detroit, Michael Finley, one of the great Wisconsin players. Uh, of all time and my personal favorite of the group greg ostertag yeah who i feel like every kid who grew up watching basketball who's about our age has only fond memories of greg ostertag i agree with that i remember uh because i played a lot of like nintendo 64 when Mm -hmm. i was a kid and i think he was in like nba live 99 or something like that i remember playing with the jazz all the time what year do you think he retired uh oh four I would have guessed like 02. He was playing in the league in 05, 06. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. 28th overall pick. He went to college at the University of Kansas. 
the original Big O. I think people, yeah. there's kind of been some back and forth. Like, is Oscar Robertson actually the Big O? I think it's Greg Ostertag. Uh, he is 45 years old today. So kind of fitting, I guess, that it's his birthday and it's Shaq's birthday. You know, two guys who were born a year apart uh, and kind of duped it out for so many years yeah. in the NBA. I mean, you think of the guys who were really able to to stop Shaq, to kind of act as a foil to Shaq. I think Ostertag is kind of right up there. Yeah, especially those 56 games he spent in Sacramento in 04, mm-hmm. 05 before he went back for right. the, um, I don't know what you call it, the uh, he signed with Utah again for right. his final year. Yeah, just kind of like a farewell tour at age 32. Yeah, the, the farewell he, tour. Uh, that year in Sacramento, he shot 34% from the line. That Not great. Is, I don't know how he did that after shooting like basically 55 yeah. to 65%. Career 57% the, shooter. And a marksman from the line. He just wasn't going to get mentally apparent. I mean, right. the being in, it just wasn't the same. The pressure of playing with Bobby Jackson, I think, probably got to him. <laughs> um, so Shaq's birthday, like I said. Um, can you name... I think we should be able to do this. Can you name all six teams that Shaq played for? It, it got a little messy at the end. Uh, Orlando, uh, the Lakers. Uh, let me, yep, he did play for the Lakers. <laughs> uh, the Heat. Yep. Um, Cleveland. Yep. Phoenix. Yep. Boston. Boston. Well done. I would have guessed that there were like one or two more at the end there. It, um, it feels like it. I remember seeing those. There's some picture online of like it's the rainbow but it's just all the, <laughs> the jerseys Shaq has worn. I suppose, yeah. Um, he was an all-star at age 36 with the Suns. I did Averaged not know 18 that. and 8 in 30 minutes per game. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. And he was, like, arguably the second-best player on that Cavs team. He was, he was with LeBron the final year yeah. before he left for Miami. The only thing I... The, my, the only strong memory I really have about Shaq in Phoenix was that clip of... That YouTube clip of him diving for a loose ball like into the bench and then i think it happens like a game later or something and then everybody runs off yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's the same game but everybody immediately dives out of the way dramatically we're really never gonna see another shack right At, no one has even really come close to like no no never, one's been close i mean think of all the drafts that have happened since shack you know faded from the public side like let's say like oh five on like has there has a player come through that's even been remotely comparable to shack in any way other than simbular okay well <laughs> i would i wouldn't say that personally i know oh, some, okay. some had compared him to uh, indian shack yeah um no I, mean, I guess like early dwight there was a, oh yeah a that's little for bit sure. of comparison there but like Be- i'm thinking someone who was listed at you know 325 pounds and who was probably heavier than three actually was definitely heavier than 325 for a lot of his career especially i think if you weighed him on like october 1st it would have been quite a bit higher maybe he was 325 in like mid-april right um i mean he's there's really never been another athlete like him who's openly said at least in the modern era like yeah i was out of shape every year i would just play myself into shape (laughs) and just win finals mvps but there's just not anyone like him no. no one with that combination of athleticism, bulk, touch. Yeah. I mean, obviously Shaq was never an outside shooter, but he could, for his size and his yeah. muscle definition or whatever you want to call it, like he, he could knock things down inside of 10 feet. Those early LA years, like as, as he was transitioning from skinny, relatively skinny, athletic right. Shaq into just, I don't even know what you call him. I guess, did he become Shaq Diesel at that Shaq point? Shaq Diesel. Yeah. The the between years between Shaq Diesel and, right. and rookie slash sophomore Shaq. Um, those were, like, those are unbelievable. Right. That's unbelievable. That is true. Like, if you watch him at LSU, there's a 30 for 30 that's on all the time yeah. on ESPN Classic. I've watched it probably five times. And, like, LSU Shaq doesn't look anything like the Shaq. No. You know, most people remember Shaq as 
you know, probably in the middle of that Lakers three-peat, which at that point he was basically 30 years old. You know, yeah. like, he, like you said, he probably added 50 pounds at least. Uh, yeah, at least. Since his, <laughs> even since his rookie year. I mean, the Shaq in Orlando didn't really play like the the Shaq at the towards the end of his LA tenure when it was just kind of bullying people as opposed you know the earlier Shaq was I guess a little more athletic he ran up deeper. and down the floor yeah well, I see a lot of clips of him doing that right um yeah I don't think we'll see another because even his um his son is in high school yeah he's he's going to UCLA he was going to go but to Arizona he's pretty skinny he's like an outside yeah. shooter right I mean he's more he's like six nine kind oh, of like okay. a stretch four type of guy than more so than a bruising center right and yeah i i I don't know if we'll ever see another player like Shaq. part of it i mean part of it's the way that the game has gone that's true there just aren't guys who are developing that skill set or are told to develop that skill set early yeah but i mean if that's the thing though if someone comes along like that then it's like julius randall's guarding him yeah well that's the thing is like you know i'm thinking like jaleel okafor like yeah i guess technically he had like similar (laughs) skills as Shaq, but like there's nobody that's physical enough and athletic enough like Shaq was to like just override whatever the like if if prime Shaq came back as an 18 year old and was in this draft it's not like teams wouldn't draft him because oh we're going away from the post game like no this guy's so dominant that i think it would transcend that right i think he he might actually if he played now he might be better he might put up better stats than he did i mean we watch those old finals games in the office every now and then when they're on nba tv and it's like they dump it down to Shaq, and it's not like you have four guys spread out around him. It's like Kobe's five feet away on the wing. Yeah. <laughs> you got somebody at the free throw line. Like they, they were not really spreading it out and, you know, allowing Shaq to have space to work. And and I don't know if I would argue that he's he'd be better right now just because of the. I think he would struggle maybe a little more on D. You know, like if you're going to ask Shaq to come out and guard yeah. on the perimeter, that was something he never had to do. But at the same time, like you like you alluded to, it goes both ways. Like you can ask him to guard Carl Anthony Towns, but then you have to ask Carl Anthony Towns <laughs> to guard him, and that's yeah. not going to go well either. No. So I don't even know what I don't even know what teams would do. No. And I mean, we're I won't say we're seeing some of that already with like Joel Embiid, but Embiid's pretty big. I mean, right. Um, and then he always just pump fakes at the three point line, and I mean, yeah. guys have to come out and and guard it even though he's not i don't think he's shooting as well this year as last year but no that's, that's yeah, this, been, he's played eggy games like right where are we, that's yeah. been an underreported i wouldn't even say it's a storyline i guess but Embiid is not shooting well from three uh, they, really I mean, at all and i mean what is yeah. he 30 low 30s 33 percent i want to say um he's at 31 percent right now on the same amount of attempts mm-hmm. uh, which isn't great but his effective field goal percentage is actually higher so hmm. make you know make of that what you will well, Brett um, Brown did just say that he wants him to shoot six to eight threes a game. Like earlier this week, he said that. So apparently they're not deterred <laughs> by the percentages. I would love to see that. But I mean, yeah, I mean, even if he only shoots 30%, I mean, this is a conversation you have about guys who can't shoot that well, like Giannis to some extent. Um, all they really need to do is shoot 30%. And then if they're big enough and fast enough to drive, um, you, they really just need to pump fake in the defense. Mm-hmm. Um kind of bites on it and then they get an advantage which is all really Embiid has to do but clearly he can he might be able to be a high 30s three-point shooter for his career which would be incredible well I think with Embiid it's like any anything you get with him from three is kind of a bonus like obviously if he's going to be shooting seven threes a game there has to be a certain threshold where you draw the line in terms of the efficiency but just the fact that he's a threat out there you know making guys come out in the first place even if he's only making one out of three you know yeah. that, that's quite a bit more than you're getting from most guys who are seven two and you know three hundred pounds. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of Shaq, I don't want to talk too much about this because I 
I haven't seen the film, but Kobe Bryant <laughs> is an Oscar winner. I it know is. you. I thought this was like a full length thing. No, a short it film. It turns out it was only like a five minute movie. You well, watched it less than five uh, minutes. Less if you don't count, if you don't count the credits. So you watched it this morning. What were your takeaways? Um, it was touching. I will say that. Um, it was basically a love letter to the game of basketball, and Kobe just kind of described how he was a kid. Uh, it would just, but it went basically from him being a kid, like. Uh, rolling up tube socks and throwing him into like a garbage can pretending that he was like winning games in the final five seconds to him like actually doing that in real life um and then the whole thing was like i didn't do this for me i did this because i love you so much you being basketball um and then at the end he was just like i you know i didn't leave because i couldn't handle it mentally or i didn't love it It because my body failed i was like that i mean this pretty much sounds like probably everyone who's played basketball right um professionally but won an oscar um, I don't know. It didn't strike me as like a like an Oscar winning short film to me. I don't want to disparage Kobe Bryant more than we already have on this podcast. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I I don't know. It's it's cool because he was really good, right? Like he's one of the best players of all time. Yeah, it depends who you ask. Yeah, he's <laughs> right. pretty good. Um, but I don't think his story, as far as the way that it was told in the short film was that much different from anyone who's really played professional basketball. Yeah. I guess I don't know how like that specific category and I don't, I maybe, I've maybe watched fewer movies than anyone in Wisconsin at my age. So I'm like the last person that should be speaking on the Oscars, but that category specifically, like I don't know how strong the other, yeah, I have no idea. Were. I should have watched yeah, the other ones yeah, and compared. I mean, are they all that short? Who knows? Um, that's all I have to say about that. I f- we should, I mean, we had to touch on it. Uh, just I think so, because Kobe, Kobe Bryant won an Oscar. Oscar right? that's, that is now a factual <laughs> sentence. Um, that even like a year ago, if someone told you that, it wouldn't have been that crazy, because at the time, Kobe was doing that muse cage. At yeah. least he didn't win an Oscar for that. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's the silver lining. Um, all right, well, a former Laker, Larry Nance, mm. had far and away the best game of his career last night. The Cavaliers... I feel like they do this, they've been doing this for like three straight years now, four straight years. They just, when you think things are going well, they, you know, they'll lose a few games in a row to quell that. And then just when you think things are going really badly and maybe spinning out of control, they'll, you know, blow the hell out of Detroit at home last night. And not that Detroit's all that good. They've been struggling maybe more than any playoff competing team in the league right now. Uh, but any game in which LeBron doesn't have to play in the fourth quarter is kind of like a double victory yeah. for the Cavs. Um, you know, as they go into a tough Western Conference road stretch, which begins tomorrow. But Larry Nance uh, started this game. Tristan Thompson's injured. Jeff Green was out. Obviously, Kevin Love is still out. Uh, but in 32 minutes, Larry Nance had 22 points, 15 rebounds, four or five at the line, knocked down a couple of jumpers. Um, you know, I think the term like vertical spacing has become almost cliched when you talk about guys right. like Nance, but the difference between him and Thompson in terms of what they offer just from like a being able to catch the basketball standard is huge. Yeah. <laughs> like that's so big for LeBron. Like he loses two assists a game because Tristan Thompson can't catch the ball. Yeah, and I mean, I we I mean, we know Larry Nance Jr. can jump high. That's not like breaking news or anything, but compared to Tristan Thompson, I mean, Tristan Thompson like is not like he he looks athletic to me like he looks like he would be able to jump pretty high i just never really see it and i mean yeah you brought up vertical spacing and lebron obviously has great vision and so he can make passes that are 
up, if that makes like he can see an open space in the air and throw it to where he knows Larry Nance can just catch it, even if it's not an alley oop to some extent. Um, and obviously, Larry Nance provides um, he can block shots. He didn't this game, but he had three blocks and then one block and two block a couple games prior. And that was in less minutes. I mean, he played 26, 26, and 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's really good. Um, I think this really just kind of hurts Tristan Thompson's stock more than it already was kind of going down the toilet. I talked to Shannon McHugh and our, our coworker this morning about Tristan and he, I mean, he was on the same page as me. It, it did feel like Tristan Thompson's career for the most part, I wouldn't say it had been a disappointment because it, it's not like expectations for him were sky high. Even he was a number four pick, but it, it never, it's never like you, they made that pick and were expecting him to become a super and become a superstar. You know, that just yeah. wasn't his game. He played really well during that finals run, the one that they won. He mm-hmm. had kind of turned into this versatile defender who could switch out and follow guys to the rim and block shots. He rebounded really well. Then they gave him a contract that paid him according to that specific you know, playoff run, yes. not how he had necessarily played around that. And I don't know. I mean, it's easy to point to the off-court stuff. Or, you know, these, I was say he is digging a Kardashian. We, we, right. People keep saying, oh, well, he was coming back from that calf injury. That was like three months ago. I don't know at what point you just kind yeah. of draw the line and say, like, everybody that they signed after that run, JR, Shumpert, now Tristan, like, those guys fell off much more quickly than anyone expected. Yeah. And I don't know. Cause I mean, Tristan Thompson was never going to get you a lot of points or anything, but you, I feel like it was fair to expect basically a double double out of him every night. Right. When, the, when the points are coming just from spoon fed layups, you know, it's not like <laughs> he doesn't have to do anything to get those points. Yeah. And the, and obviously one of his main draws was offensive rebounding um, where he, he would just clean up. I'm looking at his stats right now per 36 minutes, his best year he had, he averaged 4.7 offensive rebounds per game. Pretty good. That's very good. Um, And then that, that basically that trend more or less continued. Um, And now this year he's down to 3.8 per 36. And if Tristan Thompson's not getting you offensive rebounds or playing pretty above average defense for his position, I'm not really sure what he's given. Like he can screen, but like what big, what guy Tristan Thompson size can't, you know, screen. And this is where we get into the fact that Larry Nance just put up 22 and 15 on Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin. Um, not that the Pistons have been playing well or anything, but um, he his contract's a max contract, right? Thompson's because he. Uh, I don't think so. No, I didn't give him the max, right? Uh, I don't think so. It was a lot of money. I mean, it was a lot of money, but I don't think it was max money at the. Mm, well, he's making sixteen 16- five for eighty-two is what it was at, when he signed it. That is a lot. Um, yeah, but I mean, he might be. I don't oh, know. That's man. a lot of money. Yeah, he. There's a lot of there's a lot of centers you can get for eighteen million dollars. I don't even think it's that. It's, it's like what you know. Larry Nance is on year three of his rookie deal. He's making what like four million, <laughs> maybe less, probably less than that as as a late first round pick. Like the value that you're getting from Larry Nance versus the value you're getting from Tristan Thompson on those right. contracts. Like Larry Nance might be better in a vacuum than Tristan Thompson anyway. Yeah. Let alone when you factor into the contract. You know, what I mean, like. What you're get, what you're paying for Tristan Thompson versus a production? There are very few other players in the league who like don't exceed that value based on what they're being paid. Right, and oh, uh, go ahead. No, I mean the Cavs just have so many of those deals, which yep. have continued to handicap them. And like honestly, it's kind of a miracle what they've been able to pull out the last couple of years. Yeah, in terms of personnel moves. Yeah, I mean the trades that they made. Um, you know, we we saw. I mean, we saw the 
the new team destroy Boston mm-hmm. in Boston, and then it's kind of fizzled since then to some extent. But those were some incredible trades, um, just from a standpoint of how they how they happened and what they got, whether or not it, even if it doesn't turn out that much better than mm-hmm. we expected the the original team to, it's still incredible that they were able to realistically do that. Um, but you're right. I mean, a lot they they kind of kept the band together uh, after winning the championship, which is understandable. Um, you don't necessarily, it, to some extent, you're if you win a championship, you are a little afraid to mess with the chemistry of that, right? Um, and you don't necessarily want to be like uh, the Mavericks, where they won the championship and they're like, eh, screw it, like we don't need these guys. I, I mean, it's really tough to do that, but you could argue that that was the right call because, oh, like, sure, I think yeah. Dallas looked in like they're like we're not winning it again. Like no. everything <laughs> broke right, you know, and like, and I think for Cleveland, especially when you have LeBron, it's really tough to look in the mirror and say that. Yeah. Particularly when LeBron is involved in the contract negotiations with someone like Thompson. Yeah. And he, you're afraid that he's going to leave. This isn't like yeah. a, this I mean, is such a unique situation. It is really, LeBron I mean, is basically an agent yeah, in a lot is. of ways. He, I, I read he's somewhere a player that he, agent coach. He has no, he has no monetary stock or business interest in clutch sports. So he's just basically like an unpaid intern. consultant. Yeah, intern. <laughs> he's an intern, more or less. It's, it's, it is kind of crazy that the league, I'm sure they have looked into it, but it, it just seems odd that LeBron can have, like, after half the games that they play on the road, he's taking pictures with guys who are, like, signed to his friend's agency. Like, he's basically a runner for, <laughs> for an agency with guys that he plays against. I One day, I hope we'll understand what all of this, like, what everything like really what lebron has been doing yeah. this whole time because I mean, it's, it's kind of cool i have more i have a lot of respect that he's able to do all this stuff yeah it's just uh, it could be viewed by some as maybe a conflict of interest yeah. <laughs> um let's talk about the bucks sure the milwaukee bucks got a huge win on sunday and they promptly lost last night to indiana <laughs> i don't know if you caught the end of that one they had a good chance to win it chris middleton kind of fumbled a ball out of bounds on a fast break slash got stripped with about five seconds left then lost a jump ball to Corey joseph and that was basically the end of it bucks have lost five of six <laughs> lost a jump ball to Corey joseph lost a jump ball to Corey i did joseph. not see that yep yep it ended up in the hands of bogdanovich who was like oh, that's, tackled by eric yeah. bledsoe it's great uh yeah. got great hands well that's one of his better skills has always been getting jump balls so the Bucks are now tied for seventh, which also means they're tied for eighth because Miami is also 34 and 30. How lucky are the Milwaukee Bucks right now that Detroit has completely gone in the tank? Because the Bucks have lost five of six and they're still five games from, you know, being in real jeopardy of, of falling out of the playoff race. Uh, they're very lucky. And they're also very lucky that Miami took a little, uh, they had a little falter for right. a bit there because um, Milwaukee looks pretty bad right now. And, you know, the thing was they kind of jumped out to, I mean, they fired Kidd, it jumped out to an amazing start, but that was a pretty big product of playing some garbage teams, yes. like some really yes. bad teams. And it was, it looked, I mean, the the offense and defense looked a little different, and so it, it kind of made sense, and you had hope. It's like, well, when they play better teams, it'll work out. Um, hasn't worked out. They've lost five of their past six. Not sure if you said that, but um it's it looks like at least what i've seen looks like kind of a lot of old habits um not necessarily defensively um except from i have my own personal qualms with john henson's ability to play defense um 
and he was getting absolutely he just kind of gets bullied I don't, they just don't have any other options that's the problem but like, the, like um when tyler zeller went down i mean there was a play right. uh, tyler zeller went out for a dunk and he got hit in the back of the head by him beating he held on the rim and almost took an andrew bogut yeah um and he landed on his back and i was like really worried because right. i was like if because like i for people who haven't been watching the box, Tyler Zeller is like a legit right. That's player the state, for the, the box. This is the state of the Milwaukee Bucks. A Tyler Zeller injury is a big deal. Yeah, that would that would have been horrible yeah. if he would have well, been out for extended night, time. Right? That doesn't surprise. I I don't I think, think he, he played. No, I don't think he played. So it was basically Henson because when Zeller and Henson are healthy, Thon Maker isn't out of the rotation, but he's, he's essentially spot minutes. He's I mean, playing he's, like the last two minutes of the second first second and third right. quarters and then not playing the fourth yeah zach lowe's uh 10 things article last friday highlighted that thon is i think it was like the third worst rebounder by a certain metric I, the, the low press brothers were the only quickly. ones that were below him yeah he uh, if is, you he doesn't pass the eye test either oh god <laughs> no that's the thing i i screenshotted and sent it to to some friends who you know watched the bucks and that's exactly what i said i was like the numbers back this up like it's I didn't think the numbers would be that bad. There are so many times where you watch something and you're just like, okay, maybe you just had an off game or, you know, it's, that was just a bad series or whatever, but you watch Thon and like, it doesn't matter who he's going up against. If it's any sort of true center, like I remember when they played OKC is when it was most noticeable. Oh yeah. Like he got beat for legit four or five offensive rebounds in the first quarter alone by Steven Adams and they just couldn't play him the rest of the way. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I don't really envision him bulking up significantly or no, it doesn't look any better than last year in any sense it's i don't worse it, arguably worse and so at this point you like i still i still believe in him but not necessarily as a center like i think he's probably some weird like seven foot tall power forward um but then at that point i mean how many minutes is thon maker going to get if he's playing power forward considering jabari parker and young side exist right um and yeah the bucks they just it's it's kind of the same issues that we have seen on offense all year. They just don't have the spacing a lot of the times because Giannis can't shoot threes. And then if there's only two other guys on the floor that can shoot threes or three other guys on the floor that can shoot threes, um, the, spa- the, the, the opposing team just swarms the paint right. as soon as Giannis drives and there's nothing. There's nothing to do. Um, it, and so, I mean, I'm looking at... Um, over the past six games, the Bucks plus minus uh, for individual players, and um, Jason Terry has the highest plus minus of anyone on the Bucks over the past six games. He plays twenty three minutes a game, has a plus seven and a half, and then below him is Tyler Zeller. Um, I think usually Jason Terry comes in when they're down like fifteen. He hits three threes in a row. The team, the other team, calls a timeout, and then he comes out of the game. I mean, that's fine with me. He's also made, been pretty He's good been defensively. Good. Actually, <laughs> He's, he like some guy goes up for a dunk. Jason Terry's already been in the air for a second, and he just swats yeah. it from behind. He's had but... a better year than Delhi. <laughs> yeah, that's that's unfortunately true. Um, you know, I, I I will say at least um, Jabari Parker's looked awesome. Yeah, like I, it was you know you're gonna have your concerns obviously, but um, over the past six games, like 55 percent from three, mm-hmm. that's not sustainable. But I think he's 45 percent since he came back um, with less switching on defense. Yeah. Um, it's he doesn't get ex- <laughs> exposed as much. He that's the thing. Defensively, he's still pretty rough. But you know, I saw Eric Name from ESPN Milwaukee and Brew or uh, Locked On Bucks podcast was tweeting about this last night where you know he was basically just disappointed in how bad jabari still looked and he also made the point of like 
you know, or somebody's like, well, he's still working back from injury. And he's like, well, what does he have to come back to? You know, like even yeah. if Jabari gets back to full strength, he was a terrible, terrible defender. Like I, right. I think I'm on the record of saying he's like a bottom three defender at his position in the league. Like he's just that bad. And I don't know that the injury has anything to do with that. You know, I think that's, that's a little bit discouraging to me and not that I expected him to come back and like all of a sudden be better at defense. It was just that he, two ACL surgeries alone or aside, he still had a lot of work to do on defense. And I think the injuries have just kind of complicated that even more. Yeah. I mean, you just kind of figure he's one of those guys who can essentially make up for it by, right. by his offense. And he, he's looks great off the bench. They give him the ball a lot to just mm-hmm. like dribble and run screens. He still kind of like hops around. Like he looks like really excited sometimes, like too yeah. excited. He like fumbles the ball, but yep. I'm sure that, you know, he's never the greatest dribbler, but yeah, I think the biggest thing is he just looks confident. Like he doesn't, he's not, you know, scared to explode off a knee or no, he like he still tries to dunk everything. Yeah. Someone the other day, um, I don't know if it was Embiid he tried to dunk on. He tried to absolutely dunk on somebody, which he used to do more in his yeah. rookie and sophomore year. He was always trying to dunk on people. It seems like he's gotten more and more athletic the more hurt he's gotten. Yeah. Like when he came back from the first ACL tear, I swear he gained like six inches on his vert. Right. Um, let's see. I don't really want to talk about the Cavs. I'm, I'm all Cavs out. That's fine. Are you worried at all about OKC, uh, which is now a game and a half ahead of the ninth place Clippers? Um... <laughs> a little bit um only i mean the, the issue that i've really always felt like was going to be the thunder's main problem was they have no depth and so as soon as they suffer a significant injury it can f- go off the rails pretty quickly and i didn't necessarily think the andre robertson injury would be the significant injury that would derail their season but mm-hmm. that's mostly been the case um and yeah, I, I I still feel like they'll make the playoffs. I I just can't. It's hard to imagine that even you know even as bad as their bench is that they would fall below like the Clippers or right. I could maybe see Utah. I still believe in Utah more than I believe in the Clippers, but um, it would that would be just really shocking. Like regardless of the Andre Robertson injury, um, it. I mean, Paul George would leave, I think. That would be yeah. my guess. <laughs> well, and we were not that far removed from Paul George heavily implying probably around Christmas that, you know, he, he, was, wanted, to stay. he wanted to stay. And it's never really been clear what what seems to be motivating him. It's not like OKC was killing it at ever, and was in first place at the time. You know, I mean, obviously they've fallen off a little bit, but they haven't really strung together a great stretch of basketball throughout this whole season and you know the the belief seems to be like well if they don't make the finals or if they don't make the conference finals paul george is out of there like do we know that for sure is that his only motivation i don't know i mean i yeah because he seemed to he seemed to like say that he liked playing with russell westbrook and carmelo anthony and the team itself but unless you know unless sam presti just comes to him and is like listen we can get a real bench and this won't be this won't be like it is and and maybe Billy Donovan changes the scheme a little bit, but I don't know. I mean, to some extent, it's always going to be Russell Westbrook's team. And we saw them play like they were playing badly at the beginning. And then Russell Westbrook was also playing badly and he was deferring a lot. And then he started playing like himself again. And then they went on this huge, um, they kind of went this huge surge. And then after at that, at some point, Robertson got hurt in the middle of that. And then that kind of derailed things. Um, so it's a really just kind of odd situation. And 
because I think they had finally gotten used to each other and used to a scheme and and um then it it just kind of stopped working i don't know yeah well i mean they've said westbrook specifically has said like the the robertson injury has really derailed them defensively and it, and it's somewhat rare to, to hear a player especially a guy like russ admit something like that uh but they're clearly struggling to replace him they play they host houston tonight so that's obviously a, a very difficult game then they're home against phoenix that's a win on thursday home against san antonio on saturday which I, with the spurs team knows, i have no yeah. idea uh kings on monday that's a win at the hawks so they okay. do have a chance here to at <laughs> least win you know you could they could win four out of five pretty easily there but starting march 16th so next friday they go clippers raptors celtics heat blazers spurs nuggets pelicans warriors rockets heat over an 11 game okay because so there's could, not one gimme in there no that could knock them out of the playoffs right and then they end with their home against memphis on the final day of the regular season season jeez jeez um so they need they need to win four out of five here to feel to feel pretty good about themselves (laughs) they do um and yeah they've all been shooting poorly like i'm looking at their i'm looking at um everyone's stats over the past 10 games mellow yeah well mellow's at 38 (laughs) percent westbrook's at 40 and paul george is at 42 and um anthony's been bad all year i don't think you can say anything and he's shooting 71 percent from the free throw line. i looked at at vorp the other day basketball reference value over replacement <laughs> stat and i i sorted you know just worse vorp in the league and vorp dips under uh you know dips under the zero th- thresholds you can have negative vorp right um which i don't want to get into it but it basically just it measures your effectiveness relative to what an, uh, an average player is imagined as contributing and mellow was the fourth worst player in the nba according to vorp it was tyler ulis was one <laughs> i think uh josh jackson was two okay so some other rookie forget who it was was three and then mellow and avery bradley were the bottom five. Oh man deer and fox was the other one okay mellow that's not good company it's not for and, and you know that's only one in. number and obviously Mello's not legitimately the fourth worst player in the league but some some numbers suggest that <laughs> Well, when you when you take as many shots as he does, and then you you right. brick them, and then you don't really play this defense. Factors in too, yeah, uh, it's it's like you it it's it's the kind of thing where you just you have to take these people's names, like just del- delete their names from your head. Right. Be like, who? How is this person actually playing? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, there's someone on this team shooting, you know, basically forty percent, and then thirty whatever percent from three is not that good. Defensive numbers are bad. Um, why are we playing them thirty five minutes a night? Right, and I think. And this goes for every sport. I mean, it's incredibly hard to look at it that way and execute it that way yeah. when you're factoring in what you're paying these guys, what a change in role does for that locker room. Yep. I mean, it's it's so much more complex than just saying, all right, Melo's been really bad. You have to bench him. Yeah, especially when they have no buggy to. Right, they yeah, gonna, exactly. Are they going to play Patrick Patterson like 25 minutes a night? Like, I, Yeah, I mean, even he, he's, he's been better, but he, he was rough to start the year. I don't know. I a lot of people have been critical of OKC for doing the PG trade for getting mellow, but then sending out so much depth to do it. You know, right. like it's like, well, they they got rid of Cantor, they got rid of Sabonis, they got rid of Oladipo. That's a little bit revisionist to me. At the time, nobody was saying that. You know, yeah, it, no. it's a lot. It looks a hell of a lot better now that Sabonis and Oladipo are playing really well in Indiana. But like nobody was worried about the Thunder's depth when they made that trade in July. Not at all, and I. To some extent, I mean, because they signed Westbrook to that just insane contract. Right. And so to me, it's still kind of like 
it it made sense like so if it goes well you have paul george and carmelo anthony and the team does like the team does well if you do poorly and they both leave you have russell westbrook and cap room like that's what you have and steven adams so you have steven adams russell westbrook and just a bunch of cap room and you can kind of just you know do um what was essentially the old school way of building a contender of cycling out um it would be like it would be like how the caps are built now to some extent like there's there's two really good players and then you just find some like really above average like guys who play specialized roles and then put them around westbrook because westbrook's such a ball dominant player like lebron is such a ball dominant player um so i i'm not saying it's a win-win scenario by any means but i think um i think sam presti may probably make an effort to in some extent to clear out cap room um so yeah yeah well it's i think it's going to be interesting to see what this does for Melo's future you know i mean <laughs> i think everyone knew he was on the decline that was no surprise but he was an all-star last year he was he was he was as an injury replacement uh but still he was an all-star and i don't think i don't think anyone thought the demise would come this rapidly you know i think this is a version of Melo we expected to see in like three more years or two more years not right. right now. Yeah, not right now. Not right now. How old is he? Thirty-three. He should be one year older than LeBron. Um, I don't know when he was born. Let me uh, let me get an age check on Carmelo Anthony here. Okay. Carmelo Anthony is th- almost thirty-four. He's thirty-four in May. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I guess. Yeah. Typical regression, but he was a, he was also someone that was a little different than like Dwayne Wade, for example, where it wasn't, it wasn't crazy that Dwayne Wade's body started breaking down the way that he'd been playing for a decade, you right. know, flying into defenders, hitting the floor. Like Melo was never really that guy. No. <laughs> and, it, and he was, a, I mean, honestly, he's the type of player that you'd think would age pretty gracefully. Yeah. Cause he's such an amazing jump shooter. Right. He's, and he's always been a great jump shooter. Like with Wade and even with LeBron, it's like, you know, if you can't shoot the three, it's just, it's just hard to be that age and be effective and yeah Melo's proven us wrong I, guess. <laughs> I do think what what's under what's not talked about with this is like the pressure that like lebron specifically i mean i don't not not that he's like talking to Melo and wade about this but like i feel like wade and and Melo, part of the reason they're so reluctant to sink back into like a vince carter role is because their contemporary slash friend lebron who was in their draft class is still a top five player a top five player in the league right like i think it's hard for them to like somebody that they've but in their mind and for sure in Melo's mind have been on the same level as their entire career when he's still doing it at that level I think it's it's hard to look yourself in the mirror and just admit that you're nowhere near you know the same class as, as one of your peers who, who had been your peer for the last 15 years yeah that's that's definitely <laughs> that's really tough and um and, and and simultaneously seeing a bunch of young players like I mean a bunch of rookies who are arguably anyone like someone would take over you like I'm sure if oh, Thunder yeah. fans were asked like would you rather have Mello or donovan mitchell like just like just this year I mean, would you rather have Mello or i don't even know Otto porter like <laughs> definitely right and so that's bad Tobias too it's, it's not you're you're being you're being yeah. outpaced by like you said your your peers essentially and then also the youngest crop of players like even guys who are like two years in the league mm-hmm. um and guys who aren't even regarded as you know like transcendent players at right. the time are arguably more valuable than you and there's there's still that old guard new guard type of thing and i think Melo is firmly entrenched in the old guard oh yeah you know, i think it's like lebron the banana boat crew basically <laughs> you know you hear every now and then like chris paul does not like steph curry i'm not sure what the root of that is but it, it there is definitely that divide there between 
you know, the older group of superstars. Then you have, you know, your Curry and Harden type of group, Durant's in that group. And then, like, as you mentioned, you know, Embiid, Towns, Giannis, Mitchell, all those type of guys. And, yeah, I, I mean, it's clearly been extremely difficult for Melo to to age gracefully and kind of mentally accept where he's at. Yeah, that's for sure. Because, I mean, at this point, there really are new faces of the NBA. And I felt like yeah. for the longest time it was, I mean, and that's how it always happens. It's the same, like, 10 guys for 10 years. Right. And now it's like, well, Hargan's, you know, it's James Hargan, who, who would have said five years ago, James Hargan literally, like, the f- arguably the face of the nba yeah on a nightly basis right um, there's so many more options now like I, I think if you look back it's you even look at like guys who made all-star teams five six years ago you know you had your upper tier your like top 10 to 12 players in the league and there was a pretty significant drop off like now you know someone like ben simmons you know isn't even making the all-star game and obviously there are reasons for that but like he's he's a bigger star than a lot of guys who were making all-star games five, 10 years ago. Like there's yeah. just, the league is just deeper with big time names where, you know, you, you have to keep up your level of player. You're going to fall out because someone below you is going to move up into, you know, wherever you decide to cut off that superstar tier. Yeah. Let's take a quick break so I can tell the listeners about DraftKings. We still have the same offer that we've been telling you about for the last several weeks. We're offering a free six month road wire subscription to new DraftKings users in order to take advantage of this offer, step one, create a DraftKings account. Step two, make a deposit of at least $10. Step three, get your free six-month Rotowire membership that's all-inclusive with DFS tools, all sports, everything. You also receive a free $3 ticket for a one-day fantasy sports contest deposited right into your DraftKings account. You can use that for a shot at winning big cash prizes. Visit DraftKings.com slash Rotowire-2018 to sign up and claim that free subscription today um let's talk about let's look at the standings potential first round matchups uh still way too early to really draw out you know definitive matchups especially when what four games separate three through ten in the west and basically the same story in the east but you know four through nine i would very much uh like to see okc golden state I think that yep. goes without saying. And as of right now, that's what the matchup would be in the 2-7. Um, in the West, everything's pretty intriguing to me, honestly. Like, you can make a, a pretty a pretty strong case that OKC versus Houston would be fun. OKC, Golden State would be fun. I think even OKC, Portland, with Portland having home court in that series yeah. would be a lot of fun. The Spurs are the one team to me that it just, like, isn't quite as appealing if you're just talking, like, pure fun basketball just because we don't know what Kawhi situation is and they're yeah. the Spurs. So like a Pelican Spurs first round series, <laughs> it would be fun to see Davis average like 45 and 20 for a series, I yeah. guess, which is what I would expect to happen. But other than that, that one to me on paper wouldn't be great. I mean, what, what teams do you want to see? We'll start with Houston and Golden State specifically. And you can say any team in the West below them. Like who do you want to see as the most like on paper, I'm going to watch all seven games of this type of series? Um, I would... I think Houston Denver would be a lot of fun just from like a excitement standpoint, just the pace that the, the teams play um, would be really awesome to see. Um, I, I would want to see actually golden state new Orleans because I would love to see Anthony Davis. I would love to see some people on the, uh, <laughs> I would love to see the Warriors try to stop Anthony Davis, which already happened. Was that last year? Oh, two two years, years ago. ago. Yeah. Two years ago. Cause they slipped out of the playoffs. They were in the playoffs last year. It was, I think it was one. Ago. How long ago was that? I mean, I know what you're talking about. This the series they almost took a game from them in round one. Yeah. 
Um, but I'm still intrigued of that because I think it it's kind of like I don't know of any other center um, that would be able to almost single handedly like just put mm-hmm. up 40 every single night against Golden State who don't really have a traditional right. center. Um, although Jordan Bell is pretty good. Yeah, we haven't really talked about Jordan Bell because he's been hurt and yeah. you know, he's back in the rotation now. But I mean, I, we'll probably he's not going to be like a huge factor no. for them. But like a nice a nice little card to have in your back pocket as you like absorb some fouls yeah, too. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, every, he would be in the top seven of the rotation for like twenty eight other teams. And for the Warriors, he's just like a nice guy that they can deploy every now and then. And when they want to like just really go hard on someone. Yeah, I think Houston Minnesota will be fun too because yeah. you get a lot of good defensive battles you get butler slash wiggins on harden um and then arizo slash bamute pj tucker Mm -hmm. on you know wiggins butler um capella against towns towns destroys the rockets every time they play so i think that will be really fun as well minnesota is the team for me that assuming jimmy butler comes back and is healthy like you don't want to see them if you're houston or if you're golden state you know I, i think you'd much rather play denver I don't think Golden State's afraid of OKC, even though they've has OKC beaten them at least once, maybe twice. I think they've beaten them once. They've beaten Houston. I don't think Houston's scared of OKC either. Uh, no. But Minnesota at least has like has the defenders on paper yeah. to throw at Golden State. You know, and Butler and Wiggins and you know Towns can kind of be a wild card just because Golden State doesn't have the true you know seven footer to match up with him. So Minnesota, like if they fall down to the seven or the eight is probably a team that should be third or fourth but mm-hmm. ends up you know under what about the east i think it's just the sixers versus team x is the most intriguing <laughs> right like i've seen, i've heard people say that about like uh, boston philly in round one well i don't Cavs don't want to play philly like no one wants to play philly if it's a choice between philly and washington or philly or milwaukee or philly or miami like obviously you don't want to play philly yeah philly is terrifying they have the best starting five right. in the league by net rating so why are they not better? That's that's the question. Is like if Philly is so terrifying, why are they in sixth place? It's what uh, I mean. They lose when Embiid doesn't play, and they commit too many turnovers. I think that's like mm. that's almost it. Like I think right. that's really what it comes down to. And they, in some ways, they're I don't want to say they're a jump shooting team because their their second best player doesn't shoot any jumpers. Right. But if you watch them against Milwaukee the other night, which is the first full Sixers game that I've watched in a while, like the reason they built a huge lead was reddick was hitting everything sarge yeah. was hitting everything and sarge was like 10 to 12 in that game or 11 to 12 something like that and when those sh- when those you know robert covington rainbow 28 footers <laughs> stopped falling in the second half the bucks caught up really really quickly yeah um, and then they started passing the ball horribly right and the bucks they do turn like it over 20 turnovers yeah. um but now i mean with the so and they are a really they rely a lot on jump shooting and that was that was harder for them, I think, to to succeed with when they had their pre, um, I'm not, not pre All Star break, but they, I mean, they they got Marco Bellinelli and Ersan Ilyasova, and so that just adds depth. Like, oh, if Redick is shooting un, uncharacteristically poor, you have Bellinelli. If Dario Saric can't hit anything, you got Ersan. Yeah. If Dario Saric isn't taking enough charges, you got Ersan. You got Ersan. Ersan came into that game. In, it was in Milwaukee. Came in yep. immediately, had a four point play yeah. <laughs> from the corners. Like, all right, he's back. Um, I mean, elsewhere in the East, like to me, Indiana is just not that intriguing. As fun as Oladipo is when he's going, like they're just. I just have a hard time buying in on them. Like an Indiana Washington series just screams NBA TV. Yeah, it does. Or Indiana Miami. Yeah, Washington Miami. Miami's got a lot of real estate on NBA TV. They do. 
Um, and it's like that's a classic one of those teams. Like no one wants to play Miami. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I, don't know I wouldn't mind man. playing Miami. Yeah. Like, they haven't made it out of the first round since LeBron left. Well, the the Bucks really struggle against Miami. I wouldn't actually want to play them. If they I was. are really deep, and that that does lend itself well in the playoffs when you can go. When you're, I mean, they just got Rodney Magruder back. Which they mess with matchups if, too, right? Like, I mean, they have like eight wings or like eight guys who can play two, three, or four. Yeah, that helps. But they also don't have the top end talent, you know. And then in the playoffs, no. it's fairly rare for a superstarless team and i know goran dragic was a you know fourth injury replacement all-star right and i know Whiteside is pretty good when he's playing more than 20 minutes a night but the you know like toronto takes care of miami in four or five boston probably does the same cleveland i think does the same but miami could very well beat milwaukee washington or indiana yeah like, those teams so. to me are all like, in the same tier yeah miami doesn't yeah like you mentioned miami doesn't really have an all-star um and but they have enough they have enough depth to not only if in case someone gets hurt, but also just like you can put Bam Adebayo on Giannis, which is what they were doing, and it kind of mm-hmm. negates you know him and um, you know Whiteside against pretty much any other team center for the most right. part. Um, I think, yeah, I don't know. I I would like to see Philly and Boston. I think in the first round, I think that would be a lot of fun. I think Boston um, could lose that series. I think they could. I don't know how they would stop and beat like they try with aaron baines um yeah. still aaron baines i i would still pick boston i mean i'm, I'm saying philly could win it I, yeah. I think that would play out kind of similarly to last year with the bulls and obviously the sixers are much better than the bulls but i could see boston being down 2-1 and looking really bad those yep. first few games but and at the end of the day they're still 25 games over 500 like boston has cooled off but they're still a very very good team and they're gonna win 55 plus games yeah I don't know. Who is your favorite in the East right now? Cavs are coming off a win, so. Uh, Toronto. I think it's Toronto, too. I Just all year. Like, you look at, like, whatever numbers you look at to try to figure out who's the best team, like strength of schedule, right. this and that, the stuff on basketball reference. It's it's Houston and Golden State, Toronto, and then everyone mm-hmm. else. And obviously, I don't want to count LeBron out, but we're talking, I mean, the Raptors have been this good start yes. to finish all year and i i really do think that not having home court is going to hurt cleveland at some point i, I don't think it's there you know lebron has been through so many of these series it's not like he's going to forget what to do but i mean have just having basically an automatic pass to the first two games at home every year especially against toronto like they've swept toronto in those first two games yeah. every year that they play it's just blowout blowout two years ago toronto was able to i think they evened it 2-2 by winning two at home and then the Cavs ended up winning in six but things get a little different when you start reversing that you know i mean i i wouldn't pick against i wouldn't pick against toronto to lose both games at home in a series against the Cavs. you know maybe you split but yeah. it's hard to imagine this version of cleveland just walking in there and and blowing them out like they have the last couple of years yeah and i guess the only the only thing is toronto has been so like lowry and DeRozan in the playoffs have cool. just been like yeah and so that's the that's the thing right it's like well they're amazing in the right. regular season and then there's i think no, yeah there's no metric to factor that in no other than looking at the other than looking at the stats and they're like 38 percent shooters yeah. in the playoffs but um as of right now i would i would pick mm-hmm. toronto um me too i think toronto over cleveland and like six in the east finals yeah and i would pick cleveland over boston too, yep. me too. Um, I, I th- yeah i think lebron alone is going to be enough to get them to the eastern conference finals we'll see i mean I'm, yeah you, well, we can make the same argument against toronto that you can for cleveland you know because there's no <laughs> way to factor in lebron's like psycho playoff mode yeah i'm thinking like when they were down 26 at half to indiana last year oh yeah turn the game off 
check the score later they they scored like 20 straight points like stuff like that you just can't predict but i think i mean you watch you watch the Cavs now they miss Kyrie, and they have for all all, the entire year but more so now than ever like is is as nice as this influx of role players have been when lebron's off the court they're still a mess on offense yep and i I was gonna say when kevin love comes back too that's gonna be a huge thing it's gonna be interesting to see how he integrates with Mm -hmm. everyone else yeah i know there's been some pushback and people saying you know everybody's dogging kevin love for the last three years and all of a sudden now he's important that he's hurt it's like well he was an all-star like i think it's more so it's not that kevin love is going to come back and average 30 and 15 it's that the drop-off from kevin love to having to play jetty osman and tristan thompson 25 minutes <laughs> yeah. and jeff green 25 minutes like the drop-off there is huge and kevin love's ability to spot up and shoot is head and shoulders above any of those guys yeah and he's got some pretty decent playmaking ability playmaking ability when they put him in the post when mm-hmm. the, the like they don't do, in my opinion they don't do that enough but that's probably neither how you know we don't want to spend another 20 minutes he's not the most efficient post score like he has a alarming number of games where at the end of the first quarter he's like one of eight yeah but he still draws a ton of fouls and the games when he's on in the post it opens up a ton and And i think you at least they used to like last year a lot they would make a point the first like four possessions of the game would just be dump it down even if he didn't finish give it to him again like get him involved and it seems like they kind of got away from that when he was healthy this year yeah and when he also when he's down low he can offensive rebound which like i feel like people completely forgot that kevin love was one of the best offensive rebounders in the league the best yeah 30 30 game yeah (laughs) for the first except for his last year in minnesota so over the first five years of his career he averaged 4.4 offensive rebounds per 36 insane and now he's at two and a half and I think a lot of that's Tristan Thompson being down low and they put right. Kevin Love on the perimeter. But it's like, if, I mean, putting Kevin Love down low, you also get the benefit of his offensive mm-hmm. rebounding and then you, he's more likely to get fouls and he's obviously a great free throw shooter. Um, yep. But, you know, that's not what they do. Sure is not. All right, that'll wrap it up. Happy birthday again to Shaq. Happy birthday to Michael Finley. If you haven't seen Michael Finley's cartwheel dunk from one of the old 90s dunk contests, please look that up. Uh, And we'll end it with happy birthday to Greg Ostertag. For sure. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.